Hi there, my name is James White and welcome to another edition of this Seven Figure Club podcast. So the introduction for this podcast is uh, one that gives me great pleasure really because um, I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to meet uh, this this man who basically has sold a global national brand for a significant amount of money. So £220 million is what Mike Clare sold Dreams for. And uh, I was very lucky to get the chance to talk to him about what he did um, to build Dreams up, some of the business experiences he's learned, one of the key uh, elements around how to recruit the right people. So much great wisdom and advice was shared to me by Mike uh, in the in the time that we had. So um, without further ado, I'm going to basically introduce you to uh, a fantastic podcast, a really, really valuable listen for anyone that wants to know how to grow a business and really have some major, major big dreams about what you want to achieve in the future. There's no better person to listen to than Mike Clare, the guy who founded Dreams, the bed superstore. And uh, I'm sure you'll find what Mike has to say incredibly valuable. So here's the podcast. Thank you, Mike, for inviting me into your office. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah, good to see you. Great. To, well, as I say, I mean, in terms of the Seven Figure Club, what we try and do is we try and help entrepreneurs that are going through what you went when you started your business and sort yeah. of give them the tips and hints and how to do things, you know, and, and grow their business to how you grew yours. I mean, do a bit about your background and how you sort of started, because obviously you, you, know, you were known and you've known from sort of, you know, building dreams up from nothing to selling yeah. it. For, how did all that start? Well, when I, um, I'd always wanted, I did, wasn't called entrepreneurs then, because I'm old enough to be, you were a businessman or had you yeah, self-employed yeah. or something. But someone, I think in the 90s or something, kept referring to people who have their own businesses as entrepreneurs. But no, I, when I was at school, I used to buy and sell things. I'd buy and sell bikes. I'd buy and sell um, all sorts of things. Our famous uh, incident where I used to, uh, my mum used to run a shop. So both my mum and my dad had their own business. My dad had a printing business. My mum had a stationary business. Yeah. And um, they had a, a cash and carry card, sort of for the book of cash and carry. And I'd borrow it and go and get stuff. And I'd just sort of... Uh, well, actually, I hadn't passed my test. I was 16. I was still at High Wycombe College. And I used to buy condoms. And I right. used to buy grocers, 144 <laughs> condoms. And I would sell them individually for twice the price I bought them for. So I had 100% margin. And that was really cool. I sold them at my locker at the High Wycombe College. So if there's any of them that are my so age, st- might remember I was the condom man. To, I would supply them. What and, made you get into condoms that age? You well, just, just because it's, people were too embarrassed. It wasn't. <laughs> they didn't have machines then really Brilliant. so much. And, uh, uh, you know, it was an, it's something that you could supply. Yeah, it wasn't illegal. Yeah. But it was uh, a little bit naughty. But uh, I used to know what everyone was up to. But um, <laughs> what a great, yeah, so, uh, what a great mm, environment to get just yeah, yeah. to think like that. But, so. but it's no. I saw you all buying things. I used to buy and sell tents, frame tents, uh, and I would know the price of a frame tent and different types and things. And once I bought a, a whole. There was a, a, a company on the south of France that had a frame tents and they changed them um, uh, every three years. And they'd had these frame tents up for three years. They're all faded and, and worn out. But anyway, I bought the lot of them and delivered to my home in a coach. And um, uh, and I shoved them all in a couple of spare bedrooms. And then I was into, sold them the Buxbury Press individually, like as if there's one frame tent for sale. Um, but actually I had loads and, and I would get one out and there'd be a stain on it. People would want me to erect it. And I'd, they were all the same, but... Every time I didn't know there was an individual frame tent, so they'd have a stain on it, and I'd make up a story about, oh, that's why I spilt my soup on it, or whatever. <laughs> and uh, and it was fine until the last frame tent, and it didn't have enough poles, and I'd always be borrowing one from another. But no, I was... You were an entrepreneur, I was from, entrepreneur, from, from, absolutely. From, from, from and then I wanted to start loads of businesses. I started Dreams when I was 30, um, but... Um, a lot of people think, well, that was really successful, but 
what I don't mention to a lot of people is that I did try lots of sort of business ideas that never really got off the ground. But I, they were what I call bedroom ideas. And I'd, I'd do logos and have a little plan. And I wouldn't even go to the bank and present them. There were things that I would sort of think about and try and never really get off the ground. But it's interesting you mentioned that because a lot, you know, I, I read the story about the uh, you know, Honda and, and, the, and one of the guys from PayPal that started businesses. And the first ones don't always get success. No, no, that's a lot right. of entrepreneurs sort of get worried by that. But actually, what you've just said then is sometimes you will go through failure mm. before we, or not failure, yeah. but not success. Before Dreams was the it. first business that I really fully committed to because right. I honestly believe that sometimes, you, you know, I'd spend all my 20s sort of fiddling about wanting to start a business but never really committed because I didn't dare leave my job yeah. and actually. And what commit. were you doing at the time then as a job? Well, I was uh, selling office furniture, right. particularly. I'd worked originally in the High Wycombe and got a job in uh, Martin's Furniture and I was in charge of the bed department when I was 21. So I was always knew about furniture and beds right. and. Uh, but then I'd moved on and started selling office furniture and for other people up in London and things. But I'd always wanted my own business. Then I could sort of come back to beds because I sort of think it was an easy commodity. You know, everyone needs one and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, and then you have to make that big commitment. And when you've got a mortgage uh, and, you know, I was married, I was my wife was pregnant with our first child. It's a big commitment to leave yeah. your job and actually say this is it. And, and, I, and I thought, well... I keep going to have th thinking about. I nearly said dreaming, but I don't want to use that as a pun. But I'd, I'd always wanted to to start my business, and, and you know, you got to make a minimum, and that gets you up. So when you know that you haven't got an income coming at the end of the month, and you've got a mortgage, and you've started this business, and you've sort of jumped off the cliff, so to speak, you you've got to get up at seven o'clock on a Sunday morning and do some paperwork. Or something you can't not do it because everything's on on the line. And something if something isn't on the line, sometimes you. You, you sort of give up and do things a bit half-hearted and say, oh, it didn't work. You blame someone else. But actually, it's because you didn't put your all into it. But if you if you risk everything, you put your all into it. And when you mentioned that, you sort of made that final jump. Was there anything yeah. you just sort of made you think, no, I've got to do this? Just something, was there an instinct inside I, you? I was doing? driven by, basically, I think everyone's got someone something within them that wants yeah. to start their own business. So uh, people often, I've got this thing about teachers or, or even parents or, or someone tells someone that you're a bit of a loser you're not going to make it and, and something clicks inside someone and they they well, I'm going to show them and and, they, and they're passionately driven to want to succeed and not necessarily just to start a business to make loads of money but to actually to prove themselves that they are not a failure of whatever and someone's told them at some point in their life that they're a failure mm. and to, no one told me I was a failure but my brother was very academically clever went to Cambridge University and got like six A level went to grammar school at Wickham and, and all this sort of stuff and I was okay I wasn't a, a thicko but I was a an average and um and I didn't go to university, and I was always competing against my brother. The only things yeah. I could beat him at were Monopoly and table tennis, <laughs> uh, and we used to play a lot of that. So he was two years older than me, and uh, and and they, he was my driving force. So I think most entrepreneurs have got a driving force to want to um, to 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 be to better themselves and to be successful. And, and you're quite right. I mean, we talked. That's a great story, stuff. And you talked about you started Dreams and you made that commitment. I mean, did obviously you know if you look back when you started Dreams to sort of what it turned mm. into, did you ever look back and think? Wow, I, 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 wow. No, I saw, I know it sounds a bit sort of cliche. A, because, no, I did honestly think that I never wanted to run two or three bed shops. Right. And, and I never just wanted that was going to be my life and doing the selling. And I would always imagined a chain of bed stores. Yeah. Maybe not quite as big as it got to, but I had imagined it would be like 100 stores or something. It was 200 in the end. But, you know, I had imagined it was going to be a big chain. And that's why I wanted to commit. And I, my plan, I didn't really have an exact plan of how geographically I'd open stalls and what distribution depot I'd open and how I'd open the head office and, and how I'd finance it. I didn't have too much of detail, but my I had detail of my first one or two stalls, but I just knew that my ambition was to grow it. And, and that's why I called it dreams, because everyone 
my accountant said, don't call it Dreams because no one knows, you know, it's really? a stupid name. Yeah, he said, no one knows. But that's before Next or before, yeah, you yeah. know, you had one name sort of things. Or, um, and he said, you'd be called the Clare Business a Bed Centre or, or, or Uxbridge, which is where we started, the Uxbridge Bed Centre or something. It's because it says what you do. Dreams doesn't say what you do. But anyway. But it's not really say dreams, but actually, you talk to a lot of marketing people, right? You know, brand experts, actually, it says everything what you do. Actually. No, exactly. Because actually, the whole idea of dreams is actually giving mm. people this peaceful night's sleep that they can go in and yeah. do. And I guess that sort of fits so well with the brand, yeah, yeah. doesn't it? And what you actually create. That's why so. you shouldn't ask accountants about marketing things. <laughs> so when you were building the business, you know, you obviously, you, you know, when we met at the event a couple of weeks ago, you talked about some of the, you know, the thing, the fun, in, you, you sort of mm. came across it as, well, you described it in a way that was sort of, you know, you know, some issues that you could, mm. and you sort of seem to have this idea of actually you just dealt with things as they happened, and I guess that's there a- were a lot of problems, and and you know because you look at the beginning and the t- over twenty one years started with one shop, ended with two hundred stores, sold it for a shed loads of money, and um and you know it just seems an easy successful thing, and I like to pretend it was, but actually if you sort of drill down into my diaries over those twenty one years, any month or any week there were always a series of problems. And, you know, sometimes things went well, but quite often there were there were issues with staff or, or with planning or with shops or, or training standards. We used to talk before, this was before we could trade on a Sunday and all sorts of bloody problems we would have and things that you couldn't sort of imagine would would, would, would be there that they don't tell you about in business books. But um, I think it's just about being relentless and determined and, and sort of assessing each problem and you don't always get them right, but try and uh, accept that, all your competitors have got the same problem. Well, they've got the same problems, but they will have problems. They might be different ones, but you can't really be in business and not have problems. So mm-hmm. I think it's how you deal with problems. Is and when you were growing the business, was there sort of two or three things that you religiously did each week or each day or each month that were things that you sort of call as your core to making the business successful? Because you know, is that you mm-hmm. know, a lot of times people talk around sort of you know the numbers or the pipeline or the forecast in the business? Was there anything in particular that you thought right actually? These things were really critical to mm. me to grow the business from where it was to where it finished. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, great believer in you know everyone's got strengths in certain things, and, and maybe you can't be an all-rounder. Somebody, I sort of average at everything, but you know, I, I, I love the buying, the selling, the negotiating. I like the property side and, and choosing the position for our stores, uh, and and I love the marketing. Mm. Um, I wasn't into the IT side and I wasn't into the finance. I wasn't into the distribution and logistics. And we had lots of different departments, customer service department or this one. So, you know, my, my time was mostly spent what I thought was good at. And the, the things that I wasn't so good at, I would make sure I had a really good director or, or head of uh, that department so that, uh, you know, that that would, you know, I'd have a basic understanding of it. But... You know, bring I'd other people in who, you know, they all say to bring other people with expertise in to yeah. help you that is in an area that's not your area. No, no that's right. But some people sort of stress and want to be everything. And you can't be. You just, you know, some people might be really good at finance and IT and not be good at marketing things. So you need a good marketing person. But I was sort of the opposite way around. And you've obviously brought a number of people into the business and had to to get it where you are. So is there anything that you use as sort of like, again, you know, key key criteria or key things you use when you hire people? Because to look to, most businesses will say to find brilliant people mm. is a real challenge sometimes, isn't it? I think it's all to do with it. it, it interviewing and when, when people get interviewed uh they they, they have a mask on uh, you, you know metaphorically they have a mask on and they try and portray themselves in a certain way mm. and maybe that isn't how they are in reality and they've got a really polished cv that 
you know, they've sent away to be, to be re- rewritten or something. But in the end, so I don't even like CV. So I make people handwrite an old-fashioned application form in my format. And on there, it asks some weird questions like, what would you do if you won £50,000 on the lottery? Really? And what's your favourite TV programme? And where did you last go on holiday? And what annoys you? And, you know, it's not like, what's your strengths and weaknesses? But... Their questions and everyone has to answer those, so it doesn't matter. In the whole company, everyone had to do them. So we had two thousand staff. Everyone, a director, a van driver, whatever. So they would answer those. And to me, it was just my way. It's not a psychometric test, but uh, of of getting rid of the um, the box standard interviewing process mm. and, and, and CV and trying to get behind that mask and work. Uh, what makes people tick and I'd always say that some people are motivated by different things some people it's money some people it's job title or, or flexible hours or, or, or whatever or they've been made redundant two or three times so they're worried about the company's security and, you know are you growing or are you going to go bust or something but people are worried and, and work for certain particular reasons and it's fine to find out what that is mm. so when, when we used to I used to sales we used to our biggest day was a Saturday so it was really important everyone had to work on a Saturday so you say to a potential salesman uh, are you okay about working on Saturday they're, they're at an interview they say yes so it's a pointless question because they're going to lie to you most yeah, likely yeah, yeah. Uh, and they might go sick on a Saturday or something if they follow a football match so I would say oh Oh, do you follow football? They go, yeah, and uh, and I own into that, and they say, oh yeah, are you season ticket? Yeah, I'm a season ticket holder of this that, and the other. Yeah, and you think, yeah, yeah, that's right. But I wouldn't ask them, do you yeah, work yeah, on it? Yeah. Do you want to work? So it was, it's just a matter of getting around. And I'd ask them things. I put them under a huge amount of pressure, not nastily, but because in business you're under pressure sometimes. You know, there's got a time deadline or whatever, and it's no good than feeling all confident and cocky at an interview. I would put them under pressure, and uh, what? And if they weren't under pressure, I'd put more and more. I would ask them weird questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know um, to, to find out who they are because I guess I, mean, I think it was yourself or Nick that said um, when we were at the event a couple of weeks ago that said he actually he likes taking people out for dinner in the evening just yeah. to actually to try and understand the bot well more and more senior people yeah. we would take them and their wife so my wife and I and yeah. quite often my HR or or my uh, managing director when we got larger if it's a senior position we would take them out to a restaurant with their wife and quite often the wife. So my wife would talk to their wife and yeah. they'll chat about and it's all about, oh yeah, how are your kids and where what school do you go to, where do you go on holiday and all of that. And you'd get more information from the wife, <laughs> but my wife would come back, Oh, did you realise that, you know, like there's something some bit of nugget of right information. Whatever, yeah. yeah. Rather than um than, than the guy who's got his defences up and is, is even on guard, even after a couple of glasses of wine. But you can't do that with, with all levels. No. But um no, it is so important you, you employ the right people. So I always have this thing about a cap and drugs. So I'd say you can't I always employ someone with a cap on the head, which is common sense, attitude and personality. So basically, if you're going to employ, I don't know, a receptionist or you're going to employ a person to work in the finance department or something, then you assume they can do that job. You have to test that they can do that job or that they want to do that job or they're capable. But apart from that, what's their personality like? So are they smiley people? So in my life, everyone is, it falls into two camps. They're either radiators or drains. Okay. So drains are dirty, smelly, negative, moaning people, <laughs> and radiators are happy, warm, smiley people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and in the end, you've just got to think. Well, are they, you know, a radiator or a drain? Yeah. yeah, and and maybe a little bit in between. But you you want happy people because if you know everyone enjoys their job, there's a great atmosphere and the morale's good and things like that. You get negative people; they they infect other people. You, well, you, you are going to like this, or you won't like this now because I actually bought two beds in my part of life in my right. dreams. One, um, I think, when you still owned it, and one, yeah. when, uh, I think, when you sold it. So actually, the fact that okay. it lasted too long was probably yeah, yeah. the thing. And the one thing that impressed me was about the actual friendliness, the engagement of the salespeople mm. involved. I actually found them very. Yeah. engaging and yet actually it's quite interesting when you go to a few 
big larger stores nowadays you the role of sales is a really strange one mm. isn't it so how did you because actually people sometimes don't like being approached by people no. but on the other hand to know someone's there to answer mm. questions is it how yeah. did you sort of even get you know help the sales people sell because if you didn't sell, you wouldn't get no. to see the business. It's, it's, I mean, the early days, you know, I you'd lead by example. I'd get involved with things. We'd write training manuals and we'd do our own little courses. Latterly, you know, we we had training companies come yeah, in yeah. and with professional companies. In fact, my son used to work for me doing uh, all the training. We had everyone before they worked for us in in a, in a store. Um, they would go to a residential training sort of mm. center and uh, for two or three days and, and really go through quite an intensive training uh, thing before they were allowed sort of to talk to customers on the shop floor but um no we would have all of that about how to approach a customer how to you know sort of uh, sell add-ons and you know more drawers a larger bed duvet pillows you know and, and how to do all that and yeah when you go into a store it's a bit intimidating big bed shop it's a bit weird you know it's quite often a load of blokes in there and a woman goes in or whatever you know how you know they don't know anything about beds you can't even see inside them they haven't got a zip you what sort of's inside it's it's all a bit of a mystery so you know we, we try and make it easy and we're happy and, and polite and encourage people to lay on the beds so that's what they're there for i was gonna say because one of the things that you know is that one of the you know i remember reading he was a, an advert or, or seeing someone actually go try it try it and everyone's like you know it's this british thing isn't it to yeah, not don't want, want to, to yeah, you don't want to jump onto the bed because mm, you're wearing mm, about wherever you might mark yeah. it or stuff yeah, but yeah. i was like go on jump on it try mm. it it's a great yeah. great idea and it makes the customer feel comfortable and, yeah it's, uh, it's what we, we would sort of encourage the salesman to lay on a bed because actually the salesman lays on a bed but obviously stupidly because he's not buying it but it just encourages the the, the customer mm. to do it and they say well it's it's, it's quite sort of normally acceptable and and just getting the customer to open up and speak that's the main thing with any salespeople it's actually getting the customer talking about what they want and the salesman's got two ears and one mouth and you know he doesn't want to keep talking he's got to listen to what those customer needs are and uh, you know we would always you know people are going in and customers i always do have this thing where um if you go into a store most of us now if you go into a closed store or anything the salesman says can i help you you sort of think, well, a terrible question to ask, but they do always ask it. Uh, and they say, can I help you? And the customer says, no, it's okay, I'm just looking. So you sort of think, well, in the end of the day, the salesman we train, don't say, can I help you? Because that's a closed question and they're going to say no. Mm. So don't say that, say something else. Say, oh, it's a lovely day today. Today? Or like, yeah, yeah. But in the end, they, they don't. So you train through that and then secretly, when you're not there, you, you get feedback that they say, can I help you? And then you go into other stores that must know this, big multinational chains and the salesman saying can I help you you think well maybe they feel comfortable saying that sometimes salesmen won't get off the chair and go and talk to customer because they're so frightened that they've got to say this clever thing that we've trained them to say which is not natural for them they get nervous but actually if you allow them to say can I help you which is what they're not going to say but they feel comfortable saying it and the customer in in their sort of natural way likes to say can i help you because it makes them feel superior mm. let them say that so it's like a greeting it's like saying oh hi how are you i don't really want to know about your athlete's foot and your bad back <laughs> yeah. but i've said how are you but yeah, if yeah, you start yeah. to tell me how you are i'm not interested yeah. but it's a ritual i say how are you and you say oh, i'm fine thanks how are you but it doesn't mean we're fine it's just a ritual so the ritual in the store is can i help you the customer says no it's okay i'm just looking ritual over then the salesman sort of ignores the fact that they said they're just looking and say, oh, by the way, the bunk beds are over there and we've yeah, got a sale yeah, yeah. at the moment. What sort of bed have you got at the moment? And they just sort and the customer's happy that they've gone through that ritual and you can get onto something else. It's, funny, it's brilliant you hear you talking about these sort of things. And I uh, did a, um, hit, a comment, hit a talk from a guy, um, John Timpson, who runs the Timpson. Yeah, I know him well. Oh, we, 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 mm. well, yeah, his, I, his son or his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, his mm. son runs the business, but John yeah. gave a presentation. Mm. He said that, that his business only had two rules ever that mm -hmm. he'd always say to his, because he brings a lot of ex-convicts 
as, as Star yeah, yeah. which is fantastic, I think, to yeah. read. Yeah. He said that it was two rules. The customer's always right and the money always goes in the till, which I yeah. thought was brilliant yeah. as a business sort of idea. Yeah. Which I don't think you used to sort of tell your staff that was you. Because like you um, say, when you're in a retail environment, it's... You know, you've got lots of different types of people coming in. Was there any <coughs> got, you know, couple of th- you know, mantras that you used to give the staff in general? Oh, yeah, there, there were loads, really. It yeah. all depends on different departments, yeah. but it was it was all about you know courtesy to the customer mm. and, uh, and and reasonableness and common sense. And so we would treat the staff with with respect, and we'd expect them in turn to keep the the customer with respect and and be fair. And you know, to bear in mind that the, you know we've got to make a profit at the end of the day, uh, and you know, otherwise business isn't going to continue and survive. Um, we always give loads of bonus and commissions so we'd mm. give sort of some sort of incentive to all departments and a lot of, sometimes it's very difficult to give incentives to head office people but but we would think of a way we used to have something called um sounds like a chocolate biscuit but it's called hobbs which is head office bonus scheme and you know it would be like a john lewis scheme you know the better the company did the better they all got something um but we do lots of little things to to appreciate staff saying thank you publicly and privately uh, and giving them birthday cards because you know everyone gives their staff a christmas card but you know does their boss remember their their you know their actual birthday and i, and I always sort of think you know you've got to be able to understand what makes that staff tear so so their immediate line manager should know you know about their hobbies and their families because everyone's got a family life mm. haven't they apart from their work life they've got a, a social side somewhere and if you understand what it is and they like to play cricket or they want to go fishing or they want to do that and what it is it, you can understand and there can be a bit of give and take in the in the relationship and, and it's really important you mention that because actually what you've just described then is the I, one of the things I've you know, talked to a lot of business people and you know, uber successful people like yourself said it's about people. At the mm. end of the day, it's about understanding people, isn't it? Both yeah. at the customer side, but also at your staff yeah. side. And those two elements, and from what you mm. said and from some of the things, you know, people were key to what you did. No, 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 very, very much so. It's, uh, it, and it's about being happy and going in with a smile on your face. Even if you've got a headache and you're feeling a bit down, you've got to go in, you've got loads of staff, they look at you, they can suss your mood straight away. And, and, and was there, you know, when you were running the business and, and you, know, you mentioned you had an accountant and the people that you worked with, and was there anything that, you know, you, you look back after you and thought, God, I wish I would have known that, I would have been able to do things in a different way? Or was, there, or was it just a case of sometimes there are things you just have to go through when you're building a business? Yeah, I, I think, you know, everyone talked about learning about the mistakes and, and problems. But, um, yeah, there, there, there were some bad times. You know, we, we I, th- I think in the, uh, in the 90s, we went through a bit of a, a, a lull uh, where, where things went right. But... And it's a matter of not expanding too fast. You know, there's a big temptation once we got the model right to roll out too many stores too quickly. And and that w- would have been a problem, which happened after I sold the business, to be honest. Mm. Um, they just went a bit mad opening too many stores and, and caused a bit of a problem. But, um, yeah, no, um, there, there were lots of things. I, you know, when you look back and you've been successful in, in that business, I've not been successful since Dream. So, you know, but that, that Dreams run was really successful. So you sort of think, well, no, I wouldn't have done anything different. But but actually, there were some things that I shouldn't have done. I, people always sometimes ask me, what was the, your biggest mistake you've ever made? And after we had about 10 stores, I wanted to buy a grandfather clock, personally, myself, at home. If you think, where do you go for a grandfather clock? Well, you can go to John Lewis and they have a couple of new ones. But I still didn't antique one. They had one there, one there. You know, there wasn't anywhere. And I had our first store that we opened for Dreams that was too small. And we were about to let it and sell it, or to to sell the lease. And um, I thought, I'm going to buy some grandfather clocks and put them in there. And I started the Grandfather Clock Emporium. 
and it had about like 60 or 70 grandfather clocks and like people would come from all over the country because yeah. we had the largest selection of grandfather clocks ever Amazing. and it was like because I had this sales per square foot and actually grandfather clock you'd cost two or three thousand pounds but it only took about a square yeah, foot so, so actually I had quite a lot of them and my sales per square foot were really yeah, good yeah. and um, you know it was not a busy thing you don't have lots of customer flow but when people did come in you had a better selection than anyone else and, uh, and I thought it was a cool thing and then we opened something called the Clock Emporium in Tottenham Court Road which was cuckoo clocks and alarm clocks and every sort of clock and there was a, like a, the gift market which I didn't really know and um, we got to three clock shops and I was still doing all my dream stores and that was going well and and, uh, and then I was doing all these clocks and then they won't really make money but they're breaking even and it was taking all my time do you get it time, time. <laughs> uh, so um <laughs> So in the end, we ditched the idea because I was making more money doing beds. But I sort of, I thought I was so clever that I could do clocks as well as beds because yeah. it was a bit of a weird, niche thing to do and no one else was doing it. And I thought, well, everyone's got a load of clocks in the house. And most people had about five or six clocks in the house. So we said, well, it's a market for clocks. Why don't you just specialise in clocks? Yeah. But um, no, so I closed that. So I wish I'd never done that. But in the end, I learned not to diversify. So in the end, for the next, I don't know, that was after four or five years, for the next 15 years, I never diversified. Just stuck, stuck to beds. And it's a really great point you make because actually talking about focus and niche and we you know when we were at the oxford event nick folks on, on pork scratch yeah, yeah. and whatever I said, and actually focusing on beds and you, yeah. is and so many businesses and i speak to so many small businesses who basically say oh we cover we cover the whole of that market mm. and the whole of this space mm. and i guess you're going to it's tell me greedy actually, it's been great yeah and, and trying to do lots of other things and that's and you know you you're you best to specialize niche do this sort of thing and and have some add-ons that we would sell all sorts of like you know, um, sort bedroom of other, accessories or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And but, but actually got the bedroom the furniture. You were focused on yeah, the idea of beds right. rather that, than... That's it. We were the, you know, the bed specialist. And, and, and tell me, obviously, you know, you've built the business up and there's some you know, amazing things you've talked about there, but tell me about the little bit about the process when it came to actually selling it. Did you go looking for a buyer or did a buyer approach you? Well, basically, my wife would wanted me to sell the business for the last... 20 years practically every year she wanted me to sell the business but you know and as we were growing and yeah, yeah. but in the end we sort of resisted and you know it was doing well and I said it, you know because it was a pri- I guess you, you owned it private yeah 100% yeah. Yeah. yeah so um uh we, we owned all the shares um I used to say I owned all the shares but I didn't I didn't own all the shares my wife had five percent I had 95 percent yeah that's a weak moment I don't like to talk about but anyway <laughs> no, no, no I'm really joking but but, but between us we had 100 yeah. percent, and then we sold the business um uh, I said in 2008 and you know, that was a year before we decided, well, we'll just tentatively start to inquire how you sell a business because I've never yeah, sold yeah, a business. Because so, that process of going no, through it. Well, you saw, I thought, well, I've got to ask my candidate, but you don't. You need financial advisors that are big city people and KPMG or, or, or Deloitte or something. You don't use your local accountant yeah. and you don't lose your local solicitor. You've got to go and get corporate lawyers up in London that charge huge amounts of money. And how did you find business. that whole sort of process? Is it quite well, interesting? Or is it well, quite when we, I, I, sort of, I went, I found our, 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 the, 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 basically i called them like i used to relate everything to selling a house so i found the estate agents which mm-hmm. are called uh, corporate financial yeah. advisors uh and uh they seemed really good but i wanted to give them an incentive for the more they sold the business for the more they'd get so i need to write this sort of quite legal ratchet yeah. of 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 the base amount of money that I'd get and then the more they got to really incentivize them. But I didn't know how to write that agreement with the corporate financial advisor. So I realized I needed my corporate lawyers before my corporate finance. So I put them on hold before appointing them. Desperately went out to try and find corporate lawyers that would in the city that knew how to buy and sell businesses and things like that. I didn't know any. So our director sat down with a piece of paper. We printed out the top 20 corporate lawyers in the, in the city 
went down and said, ever heard of any of these? So we go, I've heard of them, heard of them. Well, why do you know? I don't know, they sued us once or I sued them <laughs> or we just heard of them, read about them in the yeah. paper. So we had about five that we knew. So we said, we'll go and see the ones we know, which you didn't really know. So we made an appointment to go and see them, went to see them. And uh, my finance director and I uh, had a list of questions. And this was over two days in the city, going about in black cabs. And... Um, we asked each of these people. They were really excited to help sell us. Yeah, it was a well, dreams of sale. It was right? a well-known right? brand, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was confidential, but yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And they, um, we said, one is how much you going to charge, and how would you go through the process, and how would you help us, and what would you advise us, and they told us all this stuff. And I said, and if we don't appoint you, it was my finance director's actual question. He, always at the end, he said, if we don't appoint you, who, who, who else would you suggest we talk to? And they all suggested. Well, out of the five, four suggested a company that we'd never heard of that was quite low down on the list, but we'd never heard of them. But they all suggest to go to that one. So we said, we'll have to go to that one. So we went to that, and that's where we appointed. So they, and we got them, and then they helped us write the ratchet for the corporate financial advisors, uh, which really worked well. And, um, yeah, we went from there. It's interesting, because in, as you saw, I have a model called Track Fair, which I use, which is the foundations for success. And one of the things is, in the, is the art final I was recommending. It's interesting that those four lawyers are all mm. recommending this one person. I know, so but they're stupidly, being recommended, really. But, being recommended, but they're being honest. Yeah, you know, they're exactly. actually sort of thinking, and then they're... Um, you, you know, they were sort of, they, sort of not the question they respect. But anyway, well, it was like going into the, I used to call it like going into the lion's den. It was, uh, it was a whole different speak and world and type of thing and, and just all their, their, their ways of dealing with it. And I, you've got to run your business at the same time. Yeah. So it took about a year to sell, nine months actually. But during that time, everyone's looking at your business week by week saying, well, how are you doing? Is there a dip? Is it lulling? Is it not doing very well? So you've got to sort of spin the plates. You've got to spin the business. Business got to really be doing well as you're selling it because people are looking for the future projections. But you've also got to spend half your bloody time in the city talking to all these people, working out this whole yeah. information memorandum, vendor due diligence, all this sort of bollocks that you know you know i didn't understand no, all this yeah, yeah. logo and 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 how um uh, the the all the speak that they would talk about but, but, but it, you know you learn and you get it right and it's part of life's experience i guess yeah, to go through this. but, but yeah. the moment actually sort of when it you know the day it did, could you can you remember the actual day when it was physically finally done when you actually yeah. sold you remember yeah, the day 7th of march 7th of march and then and 11, how did you feel because yeah, obviously yeah. the feeling of it's so 11 p.m at night so you know and the lights were going out in the office block at midnight and so we, we did the deal at 11 o'clock. Well, it wasn't. It was their lawyers, Alan yeah. and Overy. So yeah, they yeah. Had, we were in meeting room 112. I do remember it very well. <laughs> and everyone gets the champagne. Now, all the lawyers come into one room uh, t together. You know, there was, a, I think, 18 different lawyers in there at the time because the banks had to fund it for the private equity company. And then they had their lawyers. And then there was different shareholders of the new company. And, and then there was us on our side. And, you know, there was, oh, it was like massive. But everyone sort of, you've got to trust like a marathon, people. basically, yeah. to get through. And you know, hundreds of paper different bits of paper to sign it's not just one or two you go round and everyone and I wanted a video of me signing it all and they wouldn't allow it they said no you don't do that sort of thing and then when you've done the deal everyone sort of open champagne the deal's done someone makes a speech and say uh, is everyone happy and and then yeah someone gives a gift the lawyer gives a gift to so and so someone gives a gift to something else you know and then you sort of walk away my wife and I walk out of the building we just sort of look at each other and think oh wow it's 11 o'clock at night well so I think we sold with the business you know and, and, and of course kind of, and that feeling of like you know because it's mm. well documented that you, you sold it for a you know, massive mm. amount of money did it make you feel 
wow, I've done this. Because at the end of the day, a lot of times when you talk to people, people... No, so it's, it's a bit of a downer. Not quite, because well, I was very sad, because I love mm, the business, I love yeah. the people. It was your baby. You know, yeah, you know? I, well, in the end, I wouldn't do an earn-out, so I left, so that was, was on the Monday. Uh, so, so I then wasn't employed, and, and we had an embargo on telling anyone until 9 o'clock on the Monday morning. So... Uh, you know, I had a good weekend, trust me. Uh, <laughs> did you, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. you were able to talk about that weekend? Was it a real... Was yeah, yeah, like, no, I did have some close friends around, you know. <laughs> we did drink a lot of Don Pronon, but anyway. But, so, but on the Monday morning, I had to sort of deal with the press and deal with telling the staff and the new company. had to, and, 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 and we had did this sort of handover. And then on Tuesday, I didn't go in. So that was it. So Monday, I went in and worked all on that Monday for free yeah, yeah. to hand to hand over and do all that and that was it there was no and the rest of my team and other directors were employed by the new private equity company but i was the only person that sort of sort of walked away and uh on that tuesday it was surreal it's I like i've got like, loads of money but nothing to do i was gonna say it must be mm. surreal, like mm. sitting here going mm. but the thing that you've mm. put your life and soul into mm. for so many years mm. is suddenly no longer but a lot of people think oh well, you must have planned for that but it's not because it's like selling a house it's never done until the deal's done mm. so you sort of think well what happens if it doesn't go through and you know in the end everyone getting jittery the banks might not have funded it for private equity there's lots of things could have gone wrong so you can't sort of rely on the fact that this deal is going to go through and then it suddenly does then it's all done and you and, and you're and you're out of it mm. so it was um yeah it was a it's a funny time and difficult to quite difficult to deal with to be honest yeah and i can see and, and with the children and friends and everyone sort of treats you a little bit differently and there's a lot of press you know national press sort of talk about it and you know, you, you then don't know where to go with that. You know, you, you start a charity, do all the normal stuff, you know, go on some lovely holidays and things. But then after yeah. you've done your holidays and, and done your charity stuff, then you sort of think, now what? You know? I was going because a man like yourself who was so driven working Saturdays and Sundays mm. and every sort of day yeah. you build your business, to suddenly be in a position of like, well, what, what, you know, like you say, mm. it's a big change. And I, I've talked to other on, you know entrepreneurs that have sold the business that, that find it, like you say, everyone says, oh, it must be amazing. And they mm. have that been like you just said, a bit of like, well, actually I was, mm. but you've created something in Claren Co, talking about your new company, yep. which is incredible in terms of the venues. Tell everyone just so, because I'd like to put a, a, yeah, a yeah. thing for the bit, because it's some incredible venues that you well, guys Well, we have. just brought unusual venues, unusual properties that needed doing up. Mm. Uh, and my wife and I sort of liked the idea of the refurbishment and the, uh, and, and that, and we could afford to do it. So we brought castles in Scotland and, uh, and, and a monastery in Worcestershire and a chateau in Wales and, uh, yeah, the forts on the on in in the in Portsmouth in the Salem, and yeah, we were about doing them up, and it was great fun, and uh, you know, really sort of enjoyed it, uh, and then turned them into sort of uh, venues for for uh, big conferences yeah. or weddings or parties and things like that, and. They're really hotels now, mm. so we specialise in bigger events, but mm. actually we turn them in, into more standard hotels, but in unusual venues. So, um, and and, uh, and, that, and that, that business, obviously, is still a, you know, you're passionate about it now because yeah. actually you're doing these things. Does it give you, you know, when you compare that versus dreams, is it difficult to compare or how um, do the two sort of operate? Yeah, no, it, it is slightly different because, you know, I'd all mags in one basket of dreams. You know, if dreams had gone wrong, mm. then, you know, I would have lost everything. Mm. Whereas now, you know, you sort of, it's not a hobby business, but it's, you know, it's a business you that I do. You yeah, want to that's do, basically. right. Well, I don't come in every day. Yeah. I come in two or three days a week now and, and things like that. And I, and I visit the venues and it's, it's a, it's a bit more enjoyable and not so much pressure. And I've got a great team of people that, yeah. that, that run it. And what's your, and you're, you're, if I say too much, Mike mm. Claire's big passion now in terms of what you want to you know, make happen, because you've, you've built this mm. business, you've achieved so much, you've got so much oh. knowledge. And you mentioned at the start, you enjoyed passing it on and helping other people yeah. with that. Is that something that's a big passion? Yeah, for you no, to help it is. You know, I, I, I try and uh, my charity, uh, the Clare Foundation, helps mm. other charities to become more commercial and efficient because I sort of feel there's a lot of inefficiency mm. and, and, 
it's the opposite of entrepreneurialism within charities. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. you know, they're a bit overly cautious and, and a bit laid back and, and they're not very good. They're nice people, charities in general. So I, I shouldn't generalise because there's lots of exceptions. But, but in general terms, I always think the charity people, you know, quite often volunteers or whatever, they're nice church-going people that you'd love, love to have as your neighbour. They're very kind. They're very honest. Um, but they're sometimes not very good at running a business plan or negotiating yeah. and doing some of those sort of business side. And, and I try and generally help uh, the charities uh, sort of wise up a bit to some of the yeah. entrepreneurial type things that they could should be doing. Because in the end, the money goes to beneficiaries, but it's 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 still a process that they're going through. So and you and you weren't tempted to buy any sports clubs when you made your money. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was going to say because no, I haven't talked yeah. about whether you're a football or sports or no. whatever. But the other thing you see a lot of very successful people that sell a business and suddenly they find half their wealth oh, no. goes in a, in a sports club. That wasn't there. No, no, no. <laughs> no, well, I've done that. I mean, Amazing Venues has yeah. been okay, and it's not, it's not been as profitable as Dreams has mm. been, but, you know, I've been, enjoyed the, the process that I'm on at the moment. So, um, no, we've travelled a lot. You yeah. know, travelling is, 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 is great. You know, some people call it holidays. I don't like to call it holidays, but it's sort of holidays, yeah. but it's sort of travel. So. And is there a place, just while we're on that point, is there a place in the world you'd say to people you should go to? I mean, I'd love it anyone you think yeah. you should, but one of the best places you've ever been. Well, it's sort them. of South Seas, sort yeah. of, you know, those sort of South of Hawaii and, and yeah. um, Bora Bora and those sort of places all really very nice. We had, you know, beautiful time out there for about sort of eight or ten weeks um, sailing around those islands. But... Um, yeah, you know, Neko Island or something like that. You know, there's some lovely places. You've been to Neko, Richard Branson's yeah, yeah. Island? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got to ask a question around that. Oh. So was that an, an invite? Do you know Richard well, I guess, yourself? Well, no, he's there and he comes and has dinner with you. And he's part of part of your holiday, really. You've got the whole island. Well, so you basically get to book it. The you have there. the whole yeah. island and there's about 20-odd people you can take. And, you know, they've got wow, about, that... about 50 staff. And, you know, he's there. So he, you know, he's pretty cool. And, he, you know, he's like... It encourages you to play stupid beach games and you swim around the island with him and he swims around every really? day when he's there, yeah, and it's a long way. And What's it like? Mm. This is, oh, sorry, I mean, I, mm. I mean, I mean this is just amazing, you know, the ability to go and say, oh, I'm going to hire mm. Necker Island. For, mm. Did you not think when you've done it, think, I've, I've really mm. made it? It's, just, it's yeah. quite incredible mm. to do something like that, isn't it? Yeah, so, no, it's, well, it's, it's lucky, you know. I, I say lucky, I shouldn't say lucky because I've always said, yeah, no, it's hard work and uh, 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 an element of skill. I always say success yeah. is down to hard work and skill and luck, but not in the equal quantity so mm. it's much more uh, about hard work than uh, uh, and being determined and, and persevering as we said earlier uh, you need a bit of luck yeah. you know but but it's not all about luck and was there anything that he mentioned to you when you had when you had dinner on his island that you thought oh, interesting interesting thing but yeah no he's a lovely guy everyone says you know i one of my questions by the way on my interview form is who do you most admire people put down yeah. winston churchill or my father or whatever but most common people put richard branson you know he's such a popular entrepreneur yeah, yeah. isn't he he is the one that everyone wants to be like because he's a happy guy and he's fun he's a little bit naughty but he's very very successful he's a billionaire and he started with nothing you think quite he's ticked all the boxes isn't he he's happy and he's great and he and he's uh, and he's down to it but I, I was in an event somewhere else and someone had asked him the same question yeah. actually what would someone asked him what would determine um to look back on your life that, that you've been a success and he said something about that i've brought my children up the right way and yeah. i thought that was said everything about the man mm. that actually mm. wasn't worried about what he created no, it was right. about actually the, mm. the legacy but some, mm. look like, it's been amazing to talk to you and, and i've enjoyed it just, just a couple of final things from my perspective i know you're a busy man i mean in terms of you know, one thing that you think about the business world now when you start, is there anything you've noticed you know, from different from when you started Dreams and when you started mm. to where the business world is now? Or do you think that the, the commonalities of, of business are the same pretty much? No, I, I just think the, the world is changing very fast, whether it's politics or, you know, um, you know technology or whatever. And, mm. you know, you've got to be really fast. You've got to have some young people on board to be able to know what the, the you know, what, what's happening. Because, you know, I don't know, even, you know, 
30, 50 years ago, you, you could be a, a certain trade and do that and you could sort of near enough be certain that in your lifetime nothing will really change. There'll be the odd thing that might change. But nowadays things are moving so fast. Yeah. How, do you, how do you plan if you started a business now and you're going to run it, even if you said, I'm only going to run this business for 10 years and then sell it, you sort of think, what will the world be like in 10 years? You know, it is, yeah, you change. know, driverless cars, you know, there'll be this, you know, how how's this, what's the politics, what's the shape, how, you know, what... So, you know, it's a, it's a sort of bit frightening, but there are that means there's opportunities as well, isn't there? Yeah. You've, got, I, to be, I, I, you've I, got to be adaptable to change. Yeah, which I think mm. is probably a key thing in business yeah. anyway. So, yeah. And the final thing for me, if you were to, you know, if you could go back you know, in time and give yourself one bit of advice, what would it be? Um, apart from not starting the clock shops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's brilliant, sorry, I love it. Um, yeah, no, uh, something that I've done wrong, you mean, no, no, or something that I would change. Just, just, if you could go back in time and give yourself one bit of advice, even possibly, you know, you don't oh, I see, yeah. yeah just um, well, I maybe wouldn't, I would have brought dreams back again. So basically when I sold it five years later, I could have brought it back for 10% of what I sold it for. And I never did because I'd started all these amazing venues and, and I was thought, should I, shouldn't I? And I nearly, my wife didn't want me to, but I should have brought it back again because it's now, even more successful than when I'd had it. Mm-hmm. And I could have done that the second time. I would love to have done that. So there you have it. That was the Seven Figure Club podcast, our latest edition with Mike Clare, the man who sold Dreams, the bed superstore, for uh, 200 million odd pounds. So um, I hope you found that really interesting and got a lot from the interview in the same way as I did. Um, people like Mike very kindly give up their time to share their thoughts and their experiences on how to become successful in business. And I believe that without the input from business leaders like this, the job for us all as aspiring entrepreneurs and, and growing businesses uh, and business owners is, is much tougher. So my thanks to Mike for his commitment and time. Um, really appreciated it. And I hope that you as the listener have enjoyed what Mike has to say and also listen to some of the other podcasts that we've had. We continue over the course of this series to interview business people who have been there and done it, that have actually sold their businesses and succeeded and put themselves in a position where their lives are able to be chosen and defined by them, not by other people. And I think that's the one big thing that comes to me and, and it, it becomes evident to me from all of the different podcast interviews that I've done is how just down to earth and genuine these people are. They're, they're, they're not um, anything special in the sense of they don't pretend to do anything any different to any one of us but what they have done is worked incredibly hard on their businesses and they've actually been in a position where they've put themselves in control and put their own their own destinies in, in their own hands and uh, I guess that's what we all want to do as business owners. So I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Um, once again, if you have any other thoughts on uh, and ideas on who would be great for us to interview as part of the series, please let me know. Uh, please put some comments under the under the, uh, the, the the section here, either on on our YouTube channel or on our SoundCloud channel, and we'd love to approach those guys to talk about their success and and how we can interview them and get the ideas from them as well. So. Uh, Once again, thanks very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and uh, I look forward to sharing with you very soon uh, a new edition of the Second Figure Club podcast.